We're starting this new series called Hostage. And a few weeks ago, I was very freaked out about this because Craig's like, we're going on sabbatical. You guys, here's a series that's just really difficult to speak about. And I was like, just like, fuck, I was getting thrown under a bus. And me and Dave were like, Craig, it's kind of really hard. And he's like, oh, no, just as a challenge. You'll be right. And he, like, every time we kind of tried to talk to him about it, he was like, oh, you'll be fine. And we were like, what the heck? It was really crazy. But it's actually a really awesome series. And I'm pumped to talk through it over the next few weeks. And you're going to love it. I'm, I'm sure about it. Um, but just before I get started, just as Dave was like up here praying before, um, I felt like God was speaking to me for someone in this room. And Dave was, he said the weirdest thing, and it just like really hit me real hard. And he said, um, like, thank you, God, that you were here waiting for us this morning. I think that's what you prayed. And I was like, bam, it just hit me. And I just felt like God was speaking to someone or at least one person here. And you've been praying and asking God to turn up to the situation, like something that's going on. You've been praying, saying, God, I need you, I need you, I need you to come into this. And God just wanted to say to you that he's already there and he's just waiting for you to realize that. And so that's just like an encouragement for someone. I don't know who that is, but just when he prayed that, I was almost crying, but I was like, I'm wearing mascara, I can't. So I was like holding it in. It's hard being a girl, eh? Far out. Um, just, you feel emotional, but you're wearing makeup, and it's, it's difficult. Anyway, we're getting into this morning. I just want to spend just a couple of minutes explaining to you a little bit about the whole idea of the hostage series, and then we'll get into what we're going to talk about this week. And um, 1 Peter 5, you would have known it because we've talked about it um, a few times in the last month. It says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And the hostage series is really all about that. When the devil comes and tries to steal stuff, wrap us up, keep, keep us hostage in our lives and breaking free from that. And just to start, I want to say that I don't want to, like over the next few weeks, for you to get paranoid about everything the devil's doing in your life. Because we're going to talk about that a little bit, but that's not the focus, right? The focus isn't about what the devil's doing, it's about what God's doing, which is more powerful than what the devil's doing. And I think sometimes... We can give a little bit too much credit to the devil in our lives, you know, what the devil's doing. And I just want to tell you this morning that when you go to a McDonald's and the frozen Coke machine has run out, that's not the devil. That's for you guys. Or when you snooze your alarm and you're late to like your meeting or to work and you get in trouble, probably also not the devil. Um, anyone else a snoozer on their alarm? Um, terrible. Um, when you forgot to go to the gym for the last five years and, like, you can't fit your jeans. <laughs> also not the devil, most likely, although, mm, I don't know, maybe that one. Um, but when we talk about the series, I just encourage you, like, we've, like, we will talk about hostage and stuff, but let's remember to focus on God and also not give the devil too much credit um, for what he does. But saying that, the devil is looking for a fight. That's the truth. He actually is because the devil doesn't want us to live in the freedom that God has for us. And the devil, he doesn't run McDonald's out of frozen Cokes or, you know, make us put on weight in our thighs. What the devil does is he loves to hold people hostage. He knows he doesn't have to, you know, like wipe every Christian off the face of the earth, like kill us all. All he has to do is hold us hostage. And he did this time and time again in the Bible. He would get Israel and get them trapped as slaves in Egypt. And so they would be like physically hostages in a foreign country. And the rulers of Egypt would be killing their children and making them work. And they would be slaves. And time and time again, if you read through the Bible, Israel was hostages in different lands. People came and oppressed them and they were held hostage. And today, we're obviously like not talking about being hostages like in a foreign country or by an oppressive ruler. 
The devil knows that what he can do to stop us from living in God's fullness is as simple as to hold us hostage by something really small like fear, not small actually, by something like fear or anxiety or bitterness or stress or worry or whatever issue it is. The devil knows that if he can get us caught up in something, that it'll stop us from living to our full potential. And so we're going to talk over the next few weeks about a whole lot of different issues um, and look at how... God can bring us freedom from that um, and help him make sure that we're not held hostage by that issue. And, you know, Craig's talked about this a lot lately, that the verse I just read said the devil is prowls around like a roaring lion, but the Bible says that he's not a lion, he's like a lion, and we know that he's like a lion, he's not a lion, and that he actually can't, doesn't have power to hold us hostage. So I believe that as we speak about this series, you're going to, yeah, get some freedom. Um, we're going to learn a lot of stuff. It's going to be really good. Um, and so today we're going to start by talking about something um, which is from 1 Peter verse 5 um, that Peter talks about to a church and it's about anxiety. And so I just want to pray and then we'll get into it. Sweet. God, we thank you this morning that you're a God who loves to bring freedom, God, and that over the next yeah, five weeks, God, you're going to bring freedom to us from all kinds of different things, God, and that as we, yeah, talk and read your word, God, we're going to learn and see places where we have been held hostage, God, maybe we haven't even noticed it or we can't even see it right now, God, and that you're going to bring freedom to those areas in our lives, God, so we thank you for that, God, and we're excited to, and expectant to see what you do in our lives. Amen. Awesome. So this morning, I want to speak about anxiety, and I want to read to you from 1 Peter verse 5, and it should be on the screen behind me. It's from the English Standard Version, it says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the, pro- at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And this verse was written by Peter. I feel like if you've been here for very long, you should have heard of Peter. He's one of Jesus' disciples. And he wrote some letters in the New Testament. And this one was written to a church that was very anxious. They lived in a time when Christianity was illegal. Um, People were getting persecuted and killed for being a Christian. And so they were anxious. They were worried for their lives, for their families, for their future. What would their future look like? It was a very anxious, anxious church. And I look at this and it kind of like freaks me out. I'm like, man, he's writing to this church that had anxiety, but it's an incredible reason to be anxious, right? Sometimes I get anxiety from drinking too much caffeine. And that just kind of seems like I don't even feel like I understand this level of anxiety. Like it kind of like when I was reading this, I was like, I don't even know if I have anxiety anymore. Like I don't even know if I can. But as I was thinking about this, I realized that no matter what our reason for anxiety, whether we see it's big or small, anxiety is something that can hold us hostage. And anxiety, I Googled it. Always good, eh? When you're going to talk about it in front of a lot of people. Um, Wikipedia, always good. Um, I'm joking. I'm sorry. Um, But I looked up anxiety, and anxiety, when you uh, ask a dictionary to define it, talks about worry, and worry, when you ask the dictionary to define it, talks about anxiety. Worry and anxiety are very closely tied together, and worry comes 
where am I, my notes? I think I have on the screen behind me. But worry comes from a German word called worgen. Is that how you would say it? Worgen. Can everyone say worgen to the person next to you? Worgen. And worgen, such a weird word, it means to choke or strangle. And that's what anxiety and worry does to us. It, it acts as a chokehold on us. And so when we're anxious and when we're worried about things, it like ties us up. And that's not how we're designed to live. I, um, my parents have a dog. They got it when I was at high school. And his name's Oscar. And I think he's adorable, but my mum thinks he's the most horrible dog ever. Um, he's a little miniature Schnauzer cross terrier. Uh, my dad convinced my mum they could get him because Schnauzers are furless dogs. They have hair instead of fur. And so dad's like, they, like, they don't smell, they don't drop hair. And so my mum was like, actually sounds pretty good. But my dad was a little too stingy to get a purebred Schnauzer. So we got a cross with a terrier. And who knows that terriers don't have hair, they have fur. And they also shed their fur. So we have this like schnauzer that just drops hair everywhere and it smells really bad. And so my mom, like eight years later, is still not happy about it. She pretends she hates the dog. Well, I think she secretly loves him. But anyway, to bring this back to the point, my uh, dog Oscar, my parents live on like a little bit of land. And so he gets most of his exercise by running around chasing birds. We don't often take him for a walk and kind of sounds terrible, but he just kind of like runs, we don't throw a stick off the hill. It's not very often we take him to a park and put him on a lead and take him for a walk. And when we do, um, it's incredibly embarrassing. I don't know if anyone's ever been to the park with a dog who can't walk on a lead, but it's just like, it just doesn't make sense. And so, mine is probably horrible noise, but when Oscar is on a lead, the entire time he's just like, (coughs) has anyone ever heard a dog like that who just cannot walk on a lead and so the entire time he is just completely strangling himself and so other people look at like give you the most dirty looks like other like dog walkers they think you're honestly like pulling your dog back or trying to strangle him or his like collar's too tight I don't it's incredibly embarrassing so my parents just avoid it at all costs and so do we it's, it's a horrible situation and so but the thing is because Oscar can't walk on a lead and he's constantly choking himself the whole time he can't enjoy going for a walk it's not enjoyable for him, it's not enjoyable for us. We could never take him for a run. Like, he can't run on a leash. That would be, I can't even imagine what would happen then. I think he'd, we would probably kill him. But, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> We're not going to try. But I think so often, some of us live in the same way as Oscar. We just kind of let worry and anxiety just kind of choke us. And we just kind of put up with it and live with it. And it's like, Oscar, he can't run, he can't enjoy a walk. And we kind of let anxiety and worry do the same thing to us. Um, We let it exist in our lives and it's choking us and sometimes it probably feels uncomfortable and we know it's there and we're like, I shouldn't, you know, worry or let this, but we don't know what to do and so we just let it exist in our lives and it's really like a choke on us and it doesn't let us live in freedom, it doesn't let us enjoy how we're supposed to enjoy life, it doesn't let us run how we're supposed to run and so I'm really excited this morning to talk about what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, how we can practically, how we can get free from anxiety, free from the chokehold of anxiety, because I believe that's so important, and I don't know about you, but sometimes anxiety can be like a horrible thing, and it really does stop us from enjoying life, and I don't want to, I know for myself, I definitely don't want to live with a chokehold of anxiety, and you know, I was, as I was reading this verse, 1 Peter 5, about how he's talking about anxiety, I was kind of like, 
what does Peter know about anxiety? Um, you know, like, he's talking to this church who's had this horrible situation. Christianity's illegal. Like, they know what anxiety is. Like, if anyone knows, it's them. And I was like, what does Peter know about anxiety? And last week, we had CRC conference here, and there was a pastor, well, the guest speaker was, oh, I don't even know if I can say his name, Danny Guglamucci. Is that correct? Oh, I did well. Um, and he, through the whole week, he keeps sharing this one idea that so many of the letters in the Bible where, say, Peter writes to people, it's not just like some random advice which he looked up online. It's actually that person's personal story. And sometimes we can read the Bible and think, you know, it's like someone's giving us a list. But really, often when we look beneath the surface, that's actually that person's personal story. And as I looked at this this week, I started to realize that the story of anxiety is very, very like real for Peter. And Peter, so many times in the Bible, goes through these crazy, anxious moments. And if there's someone who I want to tell me about anxiety, it's probably the guy who, when he first met Jesus, and this was Peter's story, he was in a boat, and he'd been fishing all night, and he'd caught nothing. And that was Peter's job. It was his livelihood. Um, And he'd caught nothing, and that's not good. That means no money, no pay, no food for his family. And Peter was surely anxious at that moment. And he met Jesus, and Jesus tells him to cast his nets on the other side, And he does, and he sees what happens when Jesus comes into his life. He saw his anxiety, like, in a moment, in that situation, go because Jesus was there. And time and time again, we look in the Bible, and we see things where Peter was anxious. Like, he was one of the disciples on a hill in the middle of nowhere where thousands and thousands and thousands of people had come to hear Jesus, and there's women and children and men, and there's no food. And can you imagine if you organized that event you would be freaking out. Like, you get there and everyone's like, where's the caterers? And you're like, oh my goodness, we forgot to organize caterers. Like, that's a big problem. You're probably quite anxious. And in that moment when they're anxious and they're freaking out and they're running around trying to figure out where the food is, Jesus turns a couple of loaves and a couple of fish into food for thousands of people. And time and time again, Peter had seen Jesus come through for him in his own anxiety. Peter had been on the boat when Jesus was asleep. You know the story? Jesus is asleep on the boat, and there's a storm, and all the disciples are sure they're about to die. They're anxious. They're afraid. They're scared, and they're like shaking Jesus, like, Jesus, don't you care that we're all about to die? And Jesus storms the sea, storms the sea, calms the storm. I don't know where that came from. Um, Jesus calms the storm. And so time and time again in Peter's life, he had been through these situations, and there's hundreds of them if you read the Bible, where Peter had found himself in this anxious, worried situation. And time and time again, Jesus had come through. And Peter, for him, this was really real. It wasn't just like some advice that might be right. This was Peter's story. And he had seen how Jesus came through for his anxiety. And he was telling this church, who was in this incredibly horrible situation, his story of how he dealt with anxiety and how he knew you could fight it. And so if you just check the verse up on the screen... um, Pretty much I'm just going to speak from the first verse of this um, scripture this morning. And it says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. And this morning, if you want to know how to get rid of your anxiety, the one thing you need to know is that you need to position yourself under God's mighty hand. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, position yourself under God's mighty hand? It's kind of a tongue twister. That's quite a long sentence. Sorry, sorry, guys. Awesome. 
Peter tells people in this crazy situation, and they're anxious and they're scared, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And that phrase for us, when I first read that, it didn't really mean anything to me. But as I looked into this and I read some notes that Craig had given me and listened to some messages about it, this, the phrase, the mighty hand of God, is a very powerful phrase for anyone who was an Israelite. They knew this phrase time and time again in the Old Testament. This phrase is used talking about when God delivered his people. And in Deuteronomy 26, one of the more famous ones, it says this, So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great signs and wonders. And the crazy thing is that Israel, we talked about this before, they were in Egypt and they were held hostage um, by, by Egypt and the Pharaoh. Um, and they, God brought them out through Moses. You probably know the story. Um, but in that hostage situation, it says that God brought them out with his mighty hand. And time and time again in the Bible, when armies looked like they were about to be destroyed, when Israel looked like they were about to be wiped out, when everything looked really bad, God would deliver them with his mighty hand. And that phrase is used time and time again in the Bible. And so as the people heard this from Peter, as Peter talks about this, people would be like connecting the dots with this. Man, God's mighty hand. It wasn't just like a weird saying, but that was a powerful thing. And so here, Peter tells us to position ourselves under God's mighty hand. And that's the hand that these people would have known have been active through the whole Bible. Like, it's not just like God's mighty hand, like a weird saying, but it's like, that's powerful for them. Like, man, that's amazing. Like, God's mighty hand, that was the God that did all those things in the Old Testament. Is Can I get under God's mighty hand? Can I do that? And this morning, I just want to talk about three things that God's mighty hand signifies. Oh, my gosh. I got it. Okay, thank you. Um, three, three things that it... I'm going to say this wrong every time signifies. Thank you. Um, because, yeah, God's mighty hand in the Bible is, represents three different things, and that is his plan, his provision, and his protection. And I love this, and I hope you love it too, um, but Peter tells us, you know, how do you cast your anxieties on God? First, it's to position yourself under his mighty hand, and for us, it doesn't mean much, but I want to tell you this morning that his mighty hand, the first thing is that it means his plan. And all through the scriptures, God's hand like, shows us that he has a plan. And I love reading stories in the Bible where it seems like everything's gone wrong for Israel. Like, you know, you read this story, and at the start, God promises Abraham that they're going to be like, he's going to have ancestors as much as the stars, and that Jesus will come in his heritage line, like all these promises. And you read these stories, and it's like, Israel is about to be destroyed. Like, their family line is about to be gone. And you're like, oh God, the plan didn't work, like this is going bad, and then all of a sudden God comes through, and I love the story of Joseph, one of my favorites, when Joseph gets his brothers, sell him to slavery, and in the, in the Bible, there's a verse I love, and it says, for what man intended for evil, I planned for good, and you read the story, and you're like, oh my gosh, this isn't going well, like Joseph, like what's happening, this is horrible, and then like pages and pages later, Years and years later, you see that because Joseph got sold into slavery and because he was patient and trusted God and he got elevated to a position in Egypt, he was able to save his brothers. And in doing that, he was the only reason that their bloodline survived through a famine that otherwise would have killed them. And you look at it and say, man, God, you actually had a plan through that whole thing. And it kind of seemed crazy, like, what was going on? But through the whole thing, you had a plan. And because, because Joseph was sold into slavery, that was the only thing that enabled your bloodline of Israel to survive. And then... Fast forward another, like, 
hundred years. And you see, Israel is in Egypt, and they're oppressed, and they're slaves. And the pharaohs are saying, kill every newborn boy. We want them all killed. We don't want them to get too big. Like, we just want them to be our slaves. And you think, oh my gosh, God, like the plan worked before, but now it looks like it's gone pretty bad. Like, they're killing all the boys. Like, what's happening? Like, what's, what's going to happen to Israel? And then you see a baby put in a basket and floated down a river, crazily enough, to the house of the pharaoh, and his daughter raises a baby. And that baby's a baby that takes them out of the hostage situation. You say, man, God, You actually had a plan through that whole thing, and every time it looks like it's failed. Every time you're like, oh, this is bad. Oh, no, this is, God, you must have, like, there's no plan. Everything's gone wrong. And then you see God do something and show he has a plan. And the hand of God in the Bible is constantly showing God's plan. And oh, I'm out of breath. Um, And I want to tell you this morning that sometimes you may feel like in your life, God's plans or your plans have failed. Like, everything looks wrong. It's like, I don't think this is not where it was supposed to go. I don't know how it's, I'm going to keep going forward. Everything that I had planned has failed. It all looks bad. And I don't know if you've felt like that, but I've felt like it so many times. Like, this is not what was supposed to happen. This is not how my life was supposed to go. This is not how, what this situation was supposed to go. But I want to tell you this morning that God's hand, God's mighty hand that we can position ourselves under is about, one of the things that signifies is that he has a plan, not just for Israel, but for our lives as well. And I love this, and you may have heard like the most, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I love it. And it was written to people who were, once again, Israel was in hostage, and they were captured, and God came to them promising that even though they couldn't see a way forward, even though they said, there is like nothing to go forward to, this is the end, this is ruined, like I don't even know what I'm going to do. God came to them and said, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I love that. And time and time again in the Bible, God's hand represents his plan he has for Israel's life, but also the plan he has for our lives. And so that's the first thing that the hand of God represents. The second thing is his provision. And, you know, I think who better to tell us about provision than Peter, who saw God multiply a few fish and a few loaves of bread into like a feast for thousands and thousands of people. And Peter has seen that the hand of God represents provision, right? That when Jesus tore the bread and loaves, they just like expanded crazily. And the same is for us. When we place something in the hand of God, it multiplies. And that's just how it works. And I'm sure there's so many people in this place this morning that maybe you've experienced that part of the hand of God, that when you said, like, I don't have enough, like, I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know what we're going to eat this week, or I don't know how I'm going to do this. And you see God come through and do something that just multiplies because his hand's in the situation. And I've been talking to some of the young people who are going to Vanuatu um, in, like, seven weeks' time, and they've been working really hard, lots of them, to get their deposit, which is due today. Yep. So if you want to come, just go pay a deposit and Join in. I love how Dave put that in the notices. You can come to Vanuatu. Don't ask your boss for time off. Just sign up. It's great. Um, but I've been watching them, and even like one week ago, there was one, um, one of the young people came to me, and they're like, I only have like $150. And it's been stressing me out a little bit, if I'm honest, because some people, oh, I'm like, how are we getting this money? Oh, my goodness. And so um, and they're like, I really felt like God wanted me to come, and so I was just believing God that he would make a way, but I only have $150. And I'm like, okay, well, if there's one thing I know about God's provision is that he never does it when we want it done, right? Does anyone, can anyone, like, attest to that? That you think, God, I need this by this date, and it's a week out, and you're like, okay, it hasn't happened. 
okay, God, what are you doing? But the crazy thing is, like, in the story of the bread and fish, it wasn't, like, a few days before where Jesus is like, okay, boys, you probably should just order some caterers. Like, he didn't organize it before. Like, it wasn't, like, that morning he's like, well, there's no caterers, so we're just going to pray now and get some food. It was, like, in the very last moment where everyone was stressed and they were, like, freaking out. There's no food. And then Jesus does it. And so I said to this person, if there's one thing I know about God's provision is he doesn't do it when we want. He does it at the right time, but it's his time. And it's almost always slightly, like, way too late for, like, our, like, ourselves. You know, like, like, that's too late. But, and can I tell you that this person yesterday was saying to me, I have the entire amount of money to go to this trip, and it's only been a week. And I'm like, far out. And so it's, like, the day before, and then all of a sudden, everything falls into place, and you see, like, they saw money come from, like, tax returns and people who gave them who they didn't think would, and there's all this kind of crazy stuff, like they'd worked more hours than they realized, and all this stuff had happened, and it had just come through, and I love how God does that, but his hand represents his provision, and can I tell you this morning that his provision doesn't always come when we want it to, doesn't always come when it's comfortable for us, doesn't always even come when we pray for it to come, but God's provision always comes, and Peter, Peter knew this, he'd seen it time and time again that just when they needed something, God would do it, and so the first thing that God's hand represents is this plan. The second thing is his provision. And the third thing it represents is his protection. And this one's similar to the last two. If you read the Bible, there is story and story and story of when God protected his people with his his mighty outstretched hand. And I love it. And there's stories in the Bible. We've been talking about some of them in Ignite over the last few weeks. There was one about Gideon. And if you know the story of Gideon, it's an amazing story. He was versing an army that was like, thousands and thousands and thousands of people and God kept telling him to cull his army and cull his army and cull his army and his army was incredibly tiny I think it was like almost like a, like 120th or one something like a really small amount less than a tenth of the size of the other army and at the same time God provided them protection and they won this war that doesn't make sense they should have won but they did and time and time again in the Bible God provides protection through his mighty hand and you know Israel was about to be involved in a mass genocide and killed off and then God positioned Esther in a position where she could protect their entire nation and time and time again this happens and I love the story of Daniel in the lion's den where God protects Daniel, the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego where they go into a burning furnace and they're not injured and time and time again David and Goliath, there's all these stories where God protects his people and Peter was coming to the church in the New Testament he was saying like this just isn't like back in the old days. This isn't just like back then God's mighty hand was at work, but it's his work right now as well, and that God's hand will protect us. And the thing I love is that when Peter's talking to church about anxiety, the first thing he tells us we need to do is position ourselves under God's mighty hand, and that's positioning ourselves under God's protection, provision, and his plan. And I don't want to sum up everyone's I don't know, situation today. But I think in my life, so many times, my anxiety would fall under one of those three categories. It's about my plans failing, or it's about my provision, like what I don't have or what I need, or it's about my protection, about my health, or someone else's health who's close to me. Like, so much of my anxiety would fall under one of those three categories. And Peter comes to the church and he says, 
position yourself under God's mighty hand and know that he is the one who provides your plan, your protection, and your provision. And I love that. I think that's so powerful. Man, when I'm anxious, I know that it's not about what I can do, but it's about what God can do. It's not about how I can plan for myself and how I can protect myself and how I have provision for myself and my family, but it's about how God does that. And, that's, and Peter's coming to these people who are so scared and they're so anxious and they're so worried, and he's saying, like God's mighty hand, that wasn't just in the old days. It wasn't just in the Old Testament. It wasn't just for Israel and Egypt, but that's the same today. And I want to say to you as well, it's not just because that was in the Bible and they were getting persecuted and killed. It's the same today. And whatever is going on in your life, whatever you're anxious about, God's mighty hand, when we position ourselves under that, it provides our protection, our plan, and our provision. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, okay, sign me up. Like I... 100%, like that's the best thing ever. I love it. Um, I'm going to position myself under God's mighty hand for the rest of my life. Like who thinks that sounds pretty good? Okay, just me, that's all good. Not a few people, sweet. Very good. Um, but now I want to get to the difficult bit because the difficult bit is, okay, that's cool. Position yourself under my, God's mighty hand. Um, if you do that, then, you know, like we realize that we can place our trust in God and let our anxiety about those things be like put into God, into God our trust in Him. We can, as we are under God's hand, we can cast our anxieties onto him, like the verse says in 1 Peter 5. But how do we position ourselves under God's mighty hand? And so until this part, I wrote this part of the message, I love this message. I was like, best message ever. Um, sounds real good. Um, but then I listened to a message by Pastor Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church. And he talked about how we can do this. And this bit gets a little uncomfortable, a little bit uncomfortable for me. I get a little bit like, oh, I don't really like this bit so much. But I'm preaching it this morning, so I'm sorry. Um, can you turn to the person next to you and say, I hope you're ready. <laughs> no one's ready. Everyone's like, no, please don't. Um, so Stephen Furtick was talking, he's from Elevation Church in the States, and he was talking about how do we do this? How do we position ourselves under God's mighty hand? Like, that's awesome. It sounds so good. Why wouldn't you want to be positioned under God's mighty hand if he provides, has a plan for you and protects you? Like, that's the best thing ever. But how do we do it? And it's back to, if we can just go back, sorry, Heather, flick back to that Bible verse. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And the way we get under God's mighty hand is all about humbling ourselves. And that's, yeah, that's how we do it. And so I want to tell you this morning that it sounds really good, right, to rely on God's provision, plans, and protection but so often, I don't know if you're going to admit it, but I want to do it my own way. I don't want God's plan unless it fits with my plan. I don't want God's provision unless it fits in my timing. I don't want God's protection unless it's the protection I want and it fits in my timing. Sometimes, even though it sounds really nice right now, I actually want everything my way. And Sometimes we, we, you know, we feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders. We have this anxiety and we're like, man, I've, I'm caring so much. I don't know how, God, I need you to take this anxiety from me. But the reason we're doing it is actually because we have all those things on our own shoulders because we're like, actually, you know what? I want my own plan. I want to organize my own protection. And I'll pray, I'll ask God for it, but if he'll do it how I want it done, I'll ask God to protect me in this specific way or I'll ask God for my plan to come true, but I won't put it into his hands. And so Stephen Furtick preach this really challenging message about what it means to position yourself under God's hand, and that's about humbling yourself. And sometimes, if you've ever been anxious, we're like, God, I need your help. God, I need you. I need you to help me. God, I, I feel 
I don't know what to do. God, I can't do this by myself. And it's a little bit, I, I, I. You know, I can't do this, God. I, I need you, God. I, 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 I. And I think sometimes God's kind of like, are you done yet? <laughs> that's what this was like to me anyway. And I just want you to quickly just look at the word anxiety on the screen. In the middle of anxiety is the letter I. And Stephen Furtick suggested that sometimes, and I'm not saying this forever, and if you have a real bad problem with anxiety, like go see a counsellor and get some real help. I'm not, I'm not trying to be horrible. But sometimes the centre of our anxiety can actually be ourselves because we want to do it all on our own and we want it all our own way. Sometimes at the centre of our anxiety is us. And, you know, you can't sustain everything you're trying to handle by yourself because you're in the centre of it and you're never supposed to be in the centre of all that. You're never supposed to be in the centre of your plans and your provision and your protection. You weren't designed to be in the centre of it. God was designed to be in the centre of it. And so if you're in the centre of your anxiety and you're in the centre of your plans and your provision, your protection, and you're like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to you know, get enough money? How am I going to get enough food? How am I going to fix this plan? No wonder you're anxious. No wonder you've got anxiety because you aren't supposed to be there. God's supposed to be there. And it's supposed to be like, God, how are you going to do this? God, I'm believing that you're going to get this plan. God, I'm believing that you're going to provide my protection because you're never supposed to be in the middle. And there's a st- and I can relate to this a lot. Um, I sort of tell a story of probably one of the times I was most anxious in my entire life. Um, and it was last year, and Dave and I um, went on a holiday. It was awesome. We went to Vietnam, which was a beautiful place. If you get the chance to go, I would highly recommend it. I loved it. The food was so good. Um, but while we were there, I got a little bit sick, and I still don't actually know what it was. It was either a virus or potentially because I had my DSLR camera hanging around my neck for two weeks straight, and I, like, pinched the nerve in my neck. But whatever happened, there was one night about a week and a half into the trip where I just started to feel horrible. Like, it was... It was bad, and I was like, I had just pains in my neck and my arms and my head and my hands, and like I had pins and needles in both my arms, and I was like, I was in the middle of it, I guess, and I was just getting a little anxious, um, and I'm sure you've had a feeling like that before. Um, I, you know, we've talked at youth before, joked around about sometimes, you know, when you, you get a, I don't know, something like a tiny little lump on your cheek, and it's a pimple, and you think it's cancer, and you're like, just like organizing your own funeral, and you know, you can get scared about stuff like that, right? Sometimes, sometimes it happens when Erica Lee, who's not here today, she's in America, but she's like that. Every time something happens, she thinks she's about to die, and she freaks out, but it's easy to do that, right? And so I'm in Vietnam, it's a faraway country, um, and I'm like, I've got pins and needles, I've got incredible pain, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. This is very, I have a lot of anxiety right now, and so Dave's like trying to just like joke around and cheer me up, and you know when you're in that zone, like jokes just don't help, they pretty much make it worse, and so I'm like, I'm trying to like appreciate that Dave's trying to help, but I just don't even want to talk to him, and so I'm like, sorry babe, um, but I'm like, what do I do, how do I, like what should I do about this, and so I end up bringing, it's probably the worst decision of my life really, but, no, my life is dramatic, but I ended up bringing like the New Zealand health line, um, because we, we went to the doctors before we left the New Zealand, the travel doctors, and we got some injections, because like, it's best to eat it so you can eat street food and do stuff like that. And they give me this bit of paper. Like, if something goes wrong, the best thing to do is just ring the New Zealand health line, and, you know, they'll give you advice of, like, you know, whether this is something you should see a doctor about. Like, don't just go to the doctors in Vietnam, because, you know, like, you never really know what's going to happen there. So I ring the health line, and the lady, I don't really know what was going on, but 
she just was like really honest, and she's like, there's a list of things that could be probably most likely, what was it, Dave? We get a blood clot when you're flying. What's that? DVT. So she's like, it's most likely DVT. Go to the hospital right now. Um, and so we were like, oh, like it wasn't really what I was expecting. It kind of rang like New Zealand Health Line. She'd be like, you're fine. It's probably nothing. Go to sleep. Like that was kind of like, you know, normally when you go to your mum, you're like, my arm's broken. And she's like, feels it. She's like, no, it's not. You're fine. Like, you can go to school tomorrow. Stop being dramatic. And so I was expecting that. And she was like, go to the hospital right now. And so Dave and I were like, oh, my gosh. And we were in the center of Vietnam in quite a, like a small, I don't know if it was a city or a town, really. It was called Hoi An. So we, like, go down to reception at our, like, Airbnb kind of, like, hostel hotel thing. And we're like, where's the hospital we need to go? So we get an Uber and we go to hospital. And, like, you'll admit it, Dave, it was terrifying, wasn't it? Has anyone here ever been to a hospital in, like, a, like a maybe third world or kind of, like, the <laughs> pedestal? Yeah, lots of people have. It's a quite a scary experience. And so you get there and you're really confused who's staff and who's not because the staff don't wear uniforms. They're also all wearing bare feet. And you're like... And these kind of like people just laying around in the like reception part, like unconscious, like it was just very scary. And so as soon as we get to the hospital, I just lose it. And I start crying. It was, I had a lot of tears. I probably almost flooded the whole room actually. Um, it was incredibly terrifying. And so eventually when someone finally talked to us, because we were ignored for a long period of time, they told us there was an international section of the hospital. So we went up there and we're sitting in this room and people are talking to us and we're still unsure whether they work there or not because they, like no one wears a uniform and it was very confusing. Um, and they proceed to take like blood samples from me and come back and tell me they did it wrong. They need to do it again, which was also very scary because in the first place I was like, should I let people take my blood here? I don't know. Like I was just like needles. Like I was quite, but in that moment I was very like, I was very anxious and I was very self-absorbed and it was just like all about me and Dave's like there trying to like make it better and you know like doing that husband thing where they don't know what to say and they just kind of like fumble around with their words and like how are you feeling? <laughs> Great. Amazing. Um, anyway and but probably like an hour into my kind of like self-absorbed like crying little fist thing whatever it was I don't really know. Um, some people come and they sit across from us. The waiting room was a massive room. Like, it was not as big as this auditorium, but like maybe a quarter of the size of it. And there was just four chairs in it. And there was two next to each other and then two across, facing inwards. So Dave and I were sitting next to each other. And this other couple came and sat on the two seats facing towards us. And so, like, it was, like, kind of awkward. Um, so I'm crying. Dave's not crying. But they were both crying. And so we were kind of sitting there, and you were like, the chairs were quite, quite close together, and you kind of felt like it was going to be weird if we didn't say anything. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it would be too weird. And I didn't feel like saying anything, because I was too worried about myself to worry why the heck they were crying. Like, it, it just didn't really, like, occur to me to even say anything. But eventually, um, Dave talked to them. And I honestly feel like that night they came into the hospital, like, and the chairs were sitting right like that because God was trying to tell me something. Um, and these people, they were in Vietnam, they were traveling, and they was scared that she had just lost her baby. And so they were freaked. They were even more scared than me, as you can imagine. And they were both crying. And we were sitting there, and I was like, in my own little world, whew. Sorry, it's me. <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I realized that, actually, my problems were the biggest problems in the world. Um, not that I ever said they were. But, and in that moment, 
we realized it was Easter time last year, and it was Easter Sunday or Friday? Easter Friday. And um, this couple, they were from France, and we started talking to them. Ooh. And uh, I'm so sorry about this. <laughs> um, but we started talking to them, and they were very scared, and they were very worried they just lost their baby, and they were waiting to go into, like, an operating theater or something. And, um, and we told them, like, we told them we were Christians, and that um, it was... Easter Friday, which was like a real significant day for Christians, like Easter is an awesome day. And about, we told them about the Easter weekend and we believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he did it for us and we believe that he could heal. And so in that moment we got to pray with them and tell them about Jesus and we got to, you know, pray for the whole situation. And, and then they went away and we never saw them again. We never knew what happened. But, and then I went to the doctor's room and guess what? He's like, you don't have DVT, you're fine. <laughs> and I was like... Oh my goodness. And so we went home, and as we sat there, I just feel like it was kind of like God coming to me and being like, I don't know, like Gina, like in this moment where it was all about you, and, and I'm so grateful that Dave was there, and he was big enough to like not, not be worried about me. Um, it was, in hindsight, it was really good. Um, but because in that moment, I was just so self-absorbed myself. I probably would never have asked them. I probably never would have prayed for them. I probably never would have told them that got to tell him about Jesus. And I just think in that moment, like my anxiety was also wrapped up around me, 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 and I was in the center of my anxiety. And I was at, the, at that moment that, yeah, like, it's just like God kind of like slammed in my face and was like, are you serious, Gina? Um, and also like, I guess, are you serious? Like you're so worried and freaked out. Like I wasn't even, I, I don't even know if we'd pray, like we probably prayed for me, but like I hadn't put it on to him. I hadn't said, God, I thank you that you're my protection. God, that you're the one who's going to protect me. But I was just, I just had it all myself. I was carrying it all on my own shoulders. And, you know, um, Peter, who says this, who tells us that we have to humble ourselves and not make it about ourselves if we want to be under God's mighty hand, he knew exactly what that was like because the night Jesus had the, the Last Supper and he was about to die, um, Jesus was telling everyone how, you know, they would fall away, but it'll be all right, because sometimes when you hit your lowest point, then you can come back up. And he was telling them all this stuff that they would fall away. And Peter says this, Jesus, even if all fall away, I will not. And Jesus says to him, I tell you today, yes, even tonight, before the roaster crows twice, you will disown me three times. But Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will disown you. And in that moment, Peter was making it, all about his own status and who he was. And it was all about Peter and it was about him. And then fast forward one day and Peter had denied Jesus. And it was crazy. And he knew what it was like to make it all about himself and to not actually be humble and say, like, God, it's on you. It's not about what I can do, but it's about what you can do. Peter in that moment had said, like, I won't do that, God. It's in my strength. I will die with you. And he, it all came crashing down. And Peter knew what it was like to put himself in the middle of it and had realized that, man, like, in my own strength, like, none of this is possible. It has to be God in the middle. And Peter was talking to this church that was scared and fearful and anxious, and he was saying to them, don't make my mistake. Don't put yourself in the middle of your own protection and your own provision and your own plan because it's never going to work. And if you do, you're going to be carrying it all on your shoulders, and the anxiety is going to be too much to handle, and you won't be able to carry it because you're not supposed to be in the middle of it. And I want to say maybe the reason this morning you've been carrying anxiety or that you've been worried that you can't get rid of is because you've been bearing a weight that you were never supposed to carry. And, you know, Jesus, he never says, like, carry all your worries and, 
And then Kashi Kizama, he says, humble yourself under my hand. Make it about what I can do, not about what you can do. Make it about what I'm going to do for you, about my plans, my provision, and my protection. Then when you do that, then your anxieties, you can be cast on me because when you do that, it's not about you anymore. It's not about your own strength. It's not about your own worrying or your own fears or your own figuring it out yourself, but it's all about me. And I want to tell you this morning that you can't do that by yourself. You can't have your own plans and provision and protection. And if you try and do that, you'll always be anxious. You'll always be worried because you can never make it. You can't do that and I can't do that. We need to position ourselves under his hand because he's the one who can. He's the one who can do that. He's the one who can provide our provision, our protection, and our plan. And I want to tell you this morning that if you can do that, if you can humble yourself under God's hand and say, God, you know what? I don't want to make this about me and what I do, but I want to make this about you and what you can do. And if you say, God, it's about whatever your plan is, your protection, your provision, then you're going to be able to get free from the chokehold of anxiety and live a life that's actually freedom, where you can run, where you can live in the fullness of what he's called for you. And I think I'm going a little bit over time, so I'm going to invite the band up this morning. Um, I just want to read 1 Peter 5 to you one more time. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. And I tell you this morning, when you position yourself, humble, humble yourself and let go of your plans and your own stuff and position yourself under God's hands, anxiety, worry, it can't have a grip on you anymore. It can't have a choke hold on you because it's not you doing it. And, you know, I believe in my life, I've let that happened too much. I've tried to do it by myself so often, so many times. I've tried to figure it out by myself, work it out by myself. And this, this week, this message spoke to me incredibly, realizing that, man, actually, God, I need your provision, your protection, your plan, and I need to let go of my own stuff to get it. Um, and, you know, I think that's awesome because the start of this message we talked about, um, how the devil is wanting to hold us hostage. That's what he wants to do. He wants us to type our lives so that we're worried and scared and we don't live to our full potential. We don't live to what God's called us to do. But the thing is, all we have to do, it's not this incredibly impossible thing. We can just say, God, I don't want to do it by myself anymore. I don't want to carry it by myself anymore, but I want to give it to you and be under your hand and know that when I do that, you're going to provide for me. You're going to protect me and you're going to have a plan for me even when it looks like everything else has gone wrong. Even when it looks like it's all failing, I know that you have a plan through it all. And so this morning, I just want to give give you a chance if you want to respond to that and ask God to, I guess, help you do that, help you get under his hand and help you let it go and give it to him. Because that's a hard thing, right? I I can't even imagine like what it's like being a parent and saying like, I want to give my provision to you, God, letting that go. Like, because, you know, like that's hard. Like saying, letting some of those things go, it's not an easy thing. But um, if you just close your eyes this morning, I just want to pray. But if there's anyone, anyone here in this place this morning, and it's definitely me, and you're like, actually, you know what? I've been letting anxiety choke me for too long. I've been letting anxiety and worry hold power over me, and it's because I've been trying to do it by myself. And this morning, I want to make a decision, and I want to make a commitment to say, God, this morning, I want to give that to you. I don't want to carry it by myself anymore, God, and I want you to be my provider, protector, and you're the one who plans for me. I just want you to chuck your hand up. I'm just going to include you in a prayer. Awesome. Actually, why don't, can we also stand to pray? That'd be awesome. Sweet, yeah. 
God, I thank you this morning. I pray for every single person who put their hand up to see in this place, God, who's let anxiety be a chokehold on them, God, and I know I have as well, God. And this morning, I pray for every single one of those people, God. I pray that, yeah, this morning, God, this week, God, whenever it is, God, that we would be able to, I guess, make a decision, God, but also physically do it, God. Give that stuff to you. Say, God, I don't want to carry this by myself, God, but I'm going to give it to you to carry. And that as we do that, we would be able to come under your hand, God, and that we would know that you're a provider, our protector, and the one who plans for us, God. And that as we do that, our anxieties will be cast upon you. And so I thank you, God. I thank you for your word, God. And I thank you for your promise that you're going to do that, God. We thank you for your mighty outstretched hand, God, and the promise that holds for us, God. And I pray, and we declare in this place, God, that anxiety isn't going to hold us hostage anymore, God. We're not going to let that hold us hostage, God, but we declare freedom in this place, God. Your freedom, God, and your mighty hand. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.